Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Hello again to all of you heart-centered listeners. I'm delighted to be back with you for another episode of our podcast. My featured guest today is Christian Delahuerta. With 30 years of experience, Christian is a sought-after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community. He has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. An award-winning, critically acclaimed author, he has spoken at numerous universities and conferences and on the TEDx stage. His new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, was described by multiple Grammy Award winner Gloria Estefan as a bomb for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. His book's message is about authentic self-expression and personal empowerment. It explores power in a different way than what initially comes to mind when people think of power. Christian, welcome to the show. Carol, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. It's terrific to have you here. And many years ago, you went through a major shift and pivot in your life, and that was around the age of 30. But I would love for you to take us back before then, and even in your early years, as to what was happening in your life to give us a sense of what you were going through that triggered eventually a shift or a pivot in your life that put you on this journey of inner transformation. Great. Thank you. You know, I was born in Cuba, and I lived in a communist totalitarian regime for the first 10 years of my life, which, which I think is one of the ways in which it is kind of ironic that I'm writing about personal empowerment, because in that system, of course, power is hierarchical and not negotiable. And my family was also very Catholic, so another very hierarchical power over kind of organization in which you just told what to do. We were raised in fear, right? I mean, that's that's what keeps these totalitarian regimes functioning is that it's fear-based. Because my parents were counter-revolutionary, so they were conspiring against the Castro regime at the time. You know, we grew up with the implicit message to kind of not show up too much, to kind of, you didn't want to be seen too much. So when we came to the States, without speaking a word of English, we moved to a small town in rural Georgia, Milledgeville, you know, which didn't take kindly to foreigners back then. 
it was tough to say the least. It was really kind of traumatic for me, not speaking the, the language and then having this need to be accepted that is such a human thing at the same time that I felt so different and so other like, and so, and, and struggled with not wanting to be seen that was so ingrained in me. And at the time I already knew that I was gay, which was a source of conflict coming, you know, coming up in a Catholic environment. And then there was a part of me that's always had a sense of mission, a sense of wanting to serve the sacred as I've understood that through different points of my life. And yet in a religion which did not have room for me, which told me that, that I was anathema in the eyes of God and I was going to burn to hell for eternity. And so at the end of my teens, when I finally discovered falling in love and I was able to reconcile who I was and what it took, basically, as you know, I had struggled through all my adolescent years, which was one long depression, as I tried to reconcile my spirituality and my sexuality, finally got to the point when, when I realized the power of love. I mean, we'll never forget that moment because I thought after that first kiss, you know, I just thought, you know, there wasn't, after that moment, there wasn't a psychiatrist or psychologist or priest or minister or, or rabbi or anybody who could tell me that it was wrong because I just knew that it was so beautiful and so powerful that there's no way that it could, that love could be wrong, no matter how it was expressed. Mm -hmm. And so through my 20s, I kind of threw the baby out with a baptismal water. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that there was a difference between religious structured organized religion and spirituality, which is inherent to all of us. And so I just threw everything out the window. And at the end of my 20s, I had a successful life, a really good job, condo on the water, sports car, you know, the Armani suits and all that good stuff. And yet the more that I had and the more that I was sought after, the more that I realized that it was like an expanding hole in my gut that I just kept thinking there has to be more. There's got to be more to life. That's when I had that moment of just like getting really clear about what I wanted from life, which process led me to experiencing breathwork for the first time. When I did that, like everything changed. I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology and jump track. Wow. Take us back to the moment that if there, if there was a moment or maybe it was a series of moments that triggered that shift, what did it feel like? I spent a weekend just living in the question, like, what do I want from life? And I didn't watch TV. I didn't listen to music. I just, I wanted to be really, really present for that question. And, and I would, I started making a list. I wasn't evaluating or judging what I was writing. It could be like really big or completely petty. I just like, what do I want from life? And then I like, once nothing else started coming out, I started a process of eliminating and got it down to three. And there was something like, I wanted to fulfill my, my potential, which included, in every sense of the word, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, which I had kind of ignored for a few years. I wanted to discover my real soul level, mission level purpose. And I wanted to travel and meet and connect with and work with people from all walks of life, from all different types of cultures all over the world. I don't even know where that list went. It's probably sitting inside one of my books. I never saw it again, but getting so clear was catalytic. And a few months after that is when I was first told about this weekend intensive. And when I first learned, there was a weekend workshop where I first experienced breath work and where I first understood about the ego mind, which nobody had told me about. I mean, not my psychiatrist's father, 
not any psychology teacher in college, not the priests that I went to, to you know, high school, I went to an all-boy Jesuit high school. And that's what I needed to know. It was the combination of understanding how the mind works, how it sabotages us, how it limits us. It's understanding its shenanigans. It's, you know, defensive nature. It's reactive nature. It's, it's a need to be right. All that kind of stuff. And then having a tool through which to heal myself, which was breathwork. Tell us a little bit about the breathwork, because that's a major part of the work that you do that has contributed to your inner transformation. I mean, that's what we're all about. Seeking things on the outer, obviously, it just doesn't do it for us because we're never going to be satisfied. But once we go within and really do that deep soul searching, which you did, and then you combined it with some practices that you started to implement in your life, let's talk a little bit about the breath work. What kind of breath work is it? How does it work? And why is it so powerful? Yeah, so those are great questions. I'm so with you about the importance of going within. I'm not dogmatic about many things. I think about three. And I guess dogmatic is not really the right word because I'm willing to be shown a different way. But things that I just don't see, how we can get free, how we can be free ourselves without. And one of them is going within. So diving into and facing ourselves. Is that's why the series is called Calling All Heroes, because it's heroic work, right? To go inside and to face ourselves and to figure out our triggers and why we do the things we do and our patterns of behavior and our relationship patterns. Sometimes it requires looking at stuff and remembering stuff that's not fun or pleasant to remember, but it's so worthwhile because there are the keys to freeing ourselves. For me, breathwork was one of those keys. It's a simple breathing practice. It comes out of the yoga tradition, although it was discovered independently here in the, in the West and the Bay Area, in San Francisco, in California. And it's just a simple circular way of breathing that you do for about an hour, an hour and a half. Some modalities go longer, like three, four hours. The modality that I was trained in used to be called rebirthing. I stopped calling it that many, many years ago because it's a confusing name. And it also creates certain expectations that you have to relive the moment of birth, which is good if it happens, but it's not necessary. The science isn't there yet in terms of explaining how it works. And because I have yet to come across, I've been doing it now for, for 30 years, and I've yet to come across any other tool that heals as quickly mm -hmm. and at so many levels. I'm talking about not only in terms of past trauma, emotional and psychological trauma, but it heals mentally, it heals spiritually, and it even heals physically. And I know that sounds too good to be true. My more scientific, mental, you know, logical mind, it, that doesn't make any sense still. Mm -hmm. But I can't argue with the results. It works, both from my personal experience and having witnessed countless, countless people have profound moments of healing, including physically. Ultimately, here's how I make sense of how it works. In many, I would say most spiritual traditions, and even in some secular languages, one word, so the same word can mean breath or spirit, depending on, on the context, depending on how it's used. And it's from that perspective mm -hmm. that, you know, when we think about the breath as our most loyal, our most faithful companion on this journey of embodiment. And so many of the spiritual traditions talk about breath as life. It is life. So for me, that's the level in which I can understand how it works. I think science will be there. I think they'll, like, they'll study it more. Like there's so much research on the effects of meditation on how that works. 
I don't think we're there yet in terms of the breath. Right. I think it's really interesting that many, even meditation traditions teach too, is just focus on the breath. If you were just going to just be a novice at meditating, one of the things, first things I would suggest is just sit yourself down, be quiet, and just focus on your breathing. And then you'll begin to focus on where the breath comes in and goes out and where you feel it within the body. You feel it in different parts of the body. You feel it through the nose, you feel it in the chest, you feel it in the rib cage, you feel it in the belly. It is definitely very amazing. Tell us a little bit about your work and how you, over time, have, as you made this pivot and you started introducing new practices and things in your own life, how is that paralleled what you offer to others in your retreats and your workshops and what's even in your book. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing because I know of your interest. I know you have a, a degree or a certification in emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just say before we move into that question, I want to say, I just want to highlight the importance of the breath in relation to the emotions. Mm. Because we've been so conditioned to make the emotions weakness, as you know. You know, emotions aren't strength, they're not weakness, they're not good, they're not bad, they're energy, like everything else. We used to know from like spiritual teachings that everything is energy. Now we know from quantum physics that everything is energy. And energy can't be destroyed. Right. So when we suppress emotions because we've been so conditioned to, to be afraid of them, and because we've labeled them weakness, those emotions don't just, just don't go away. We stuff them, they get lodged in the tissues of the body. And after years and decades and a lifetime of suppressing emotions, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of suppressed emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship in the present moment, and all of it is getting filtered through those layers of emotional crap. So it's so really important. And that's one of the ways in which breathwork is really helpful, by the way, which is clearing those layers of emotional crap. Yeah. And releasing it out of the body. I mean, you're so right. We hold so much in the body. And especially if we're in an anxious or fearful or or constantly in a hyper kind of state, our breathing is different. It's shorter. It's more shallow. And I think most of us probably go through life if we're in, if we're operating in a, a frenzy or constant rush or just focused totally on what is external to us because it's all this stimuli that we're dealing with that we're not even conscious of what is happening with our breath. And so the first step would be to be conscious of it, be aware of it, and start paying attention to your breath. Exactly. And if we took nothing else from this conversation... That awareness of the breath, especially as we're about to get into an emotional upset, right? to remember to breathe, right? Because what happens when we get into an emotional upsetting situation is like, we stop breathing and we shorten the breath. You know, that's the reason those emotions get stuck in the body because we stop breathing. So if we have that presence, all it takes is that awareness and presence, which comes as a result of regular meditation practice and mindfulness practice so that in the moment we can just take some deep breaths as we're having our emotions, and then they don't get stuck in us. They can just flow like energy, flow in and flow right back out. And it creates that 
calm, that centeredness, that more relaxed state, really calming the nervous system down so that it's not operating in such a heightened state all the time. Because when we're operating in that heightened state, I mean, that's where so many physical, emotional, mental things are constantly coming into play. I want to dive into the essence of your book. And I know that even in our previous conversation, you know, we were talking about the ego and how the ego can really get in our way and how do we get the ego out of the driver's seat. I'll throw it back to you. Where would you like to dive in right now? Well, I'll just speak briefly about how I work with people. For 30 years, I've been doing retreats and weekend workshops, and I take people on longer events, week-long, 10 days, to beautiful places in the world. If a retreat and a vacation got married and had a child, that would be that experience, which I call soulful trek. So it has elements of a retreat. We go to places like Machu Picchu or Hawaii, northern New Mexico, Egypt, southern France, and so have some retreat, time for retreat, and then we do some enjoy the beauty and the magic and the energy of those places. Because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to have any live events for the last year. So I've been doing more virtual coaching. I don't do the group, the, the breath work in a group basis. I don't feel like it's safe enough to do virtually because it's such a powerful experience and people have powerful cathartic releases. Like I will work with one virtually if it's somebody I know, somebody I've worked with before, and somebody who has a support system wherever they live. Mm -hmm. But if it's somebody I don't know, I, I won't do it and I won't do a group either. Okay, so it has some pretty powerful effects. Oh my God. In releasing those trapped emotions, people will often relive the original memory of, of that trauma, which, you know, if I'm present with them, I can support. There are many things that I can intervene and handle when they have that moment of release. But if it's through a computer and they turn the computer off, like there is nothing I can do. So that's the reason why I work very selectively with people over, you know, virtually. Mm -hmm. What I am doing virtually that is available for everyone, I'm doing breathing techniques and breathing practices, but not this intense hour and a half breath work session. But I'm doing a year-long coaching program, which I'm actually really enjoying because, of course, I'll go back to doing retreats whenever we can. And they are powerful and they're incredible and fun and we do breath work four times so that's really really healing and catalytic and in some cases people have this amazing peak experience and then they go back into their lives and little by little you know the day-to-day -day drama and, and responsibilities and habits start pulling them down and they start forgetting and the ego reaches you know starts pulling them down with the voices of self-doubt and fear and then they have to come to another retreat what I'm loving about this model of a year long is I get to stretch out the teachings over a year, deliver them in piecemeal, bite-sized pieces with, here's the key, interactivity. Small teachings, small amount of teachings, but then homework. And, and not heavy-duty homework, but homework that's designed to apply the teachings to our lives because that's when we integrate them, when we have to like interact with them. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. And I'm also... It's a creative process because I'm having to use learning modalities that are different from what I normally use in, in 3D when I'm doing a retreat. Uh, so I'm having to learn, study about how people learn and using visual and auditory and involving the body as much as possible. And so it's, it's, it's exciting. Let's talk about the book because the book is something that 
you have been maybe planning to write, but over the course of time, it wasn't ready to really present itself or be revealed until just in the last year or two. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and how does it relate to your own journey? It's also part of this series that you're going to be writing on the hero's journey. Yeah, another deep question. I can answer it from several levels as to why I wrote the book. One is realizing that many of us have an ambivalent relationship to power. We want it, but we're terrified of it. And the more that I've done retreats on that theme and with everybody and specifically with women, because the book has a, a particular message for women in relationship to power, the more that I realize is that the fear underneath it is that we think we might abuse it. And no wonder. All we got to do is turn on the news on any given day. And on top of that, we've been conditioned to think of power as a negative thing, right? How many times have we heard power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? So what good hearted being wants to be corrupted or wants to abuse power? So add to that, what we've, to that mix, what we were talking about before, which is our, our fear of the emotions and our denial of the emotions. So we avoid conflict. We hate confrontation. Put all that into the mix and what happens? We end up giving away our power, right? And, and we end up settling for less. We end up selling ourselves short. We end up playing small. We end up stuffing our power and, and our magnificence and our bigness and settling for the illusion of security, for a false sense of security, and for morsels of pseudo-love. So that's the big picture of, of what inspired this book. Mm. Another experience that I had was, was in meditation a few years ago, and I heard the words, and this has only happened three times in my life, where I heard, actually heard audible words. And the words were the soul of power. It's like, oh, that's cool. What an interesting thought. I, I got up, got the URL, forgot about it. A month later, I'd been working with an agent on a different book, a literary agent in New York, and she said, yeah, I want to work with you but I want to see some of these marketing ideas implemented before we pitch a publisher. Now, implementing those ideas would have taken me a year. So for me, it was like putting on the brakes and kind of sent me into a spin, sent me into crisis for a few days. And then I thought like, all right, what am I really going to do? Because I was already spending the advance in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, all right, so if I were just going to write with no agenda, not thinking about, about the advance, if I were just going to write, what would I write about? And in those three days of being in that question, it was like one of those, you know, moments, like light bulb moments or duh moments. It was like, oh my God, women's empowerment, soulful power. If I, if I really believe what I've been saying for years, that the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment of women, what am I doing about that specifically? And the book is for everybody, right? We all struggle with issues of power and this ambivalence that I'm talking about. And it has a particular message for women stemming from that belief, because I am convinced that when women are in 50% of power, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and social injustice and wealth distribution, how we treat the environment to all of it. And it's not to idealize women, it's not to add another whole layer of responsibility for women to, to have to deal with. It's, it's because, and it's not to, to demonize men either. It's because systemically, we've been really working off kilter. 
we've been working off balance. And that system, that patriarchal system of which toxic way of expressing what masculinity means and what it means to be a man is not serving anybody, including men. Right. Even men need to tap into the, the feminine side of our energy. You know, it's really energy. The masculine energy is really all about taking action, whereas the feminine energy is really all about reflection and introspection and taking that time to go within and reflect. We're constantly, as a society, doing, 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 but we're not being enough. I think the angle of the need for more empowerment for women is very, very important. It's not about femininity or masculinity. It's really about bridging and being able to operate in both at at different times and different circumstances in our life to be able to balance how we are interacting with one another, how we are relating to ourself, how we are relating to others, how we are even perceiving the world. And it's, the, it's about the energy part of this. Like we're, we're all energy and we all have masculine and feminine energies. This having made the female energy's weakness, that's just so wrong. It's like, I mean, all, all we have to think about, the, the power of creation that resides in the female body. It's like, come on, what is more powerful than that? Before you move on, I want to say this one thing for the men in the audience too, because the book is intended to help all of us claim our power. And we've gotten confused about that, you know, and and goes back to our conversation about the emotions. You know, we've gotten this erroneous way of thinking about what it means to be a man. So you've got to walk around like this and not feel anything. And and the the repertoire behavior is like like this limited about what a a man can do, Mm -hmm. which is also as limiting as it is for women. And there's a price to pay for that. So like, no wonder the rate of suicide in this country is like four times as high among men, 70% of the suicide in the United States are committed by middle-aged white men. And women outlive men by five years in this country, by seven years globally. To me, there is no question, there's no doubt that this expression of of masculinity is is part of that. It's a prison. It's a prison that we're, we're finding. And so in reclaiming all parts of us and all energies accessible to all of us, we will all find freedom in different ways. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too is really being able to tap into our heart center. When we live in our heart center, there's really only love that resides there. Hate really can't reside, you know. And so I can even make the the connection there with that. I think there's there's a section in your book about paths to soulful power. I would think that one path is certainly through the heart and tapping into what is in your heart and living from a place of compassion and kindness and love. And we're not really doing enough of that as a society. Which is powerful, by the way, you know, because we tend to think of love as this new, new hallmarky, new agey, nanny panty, airy fairy kind of love. And no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about love as the fiercest, most powerful energy and force in the universe. Let's talk a little bit about the zone of power, because that's a section of your book that I think is important for 
even listeners to understand, okay, well, so how do we stand in our power? And what is that zone of power? And how do we manage in the zone of power? Yeah, and, and so much to say about that too. So one, you know, first step is realizing, resolving that ambivalence, right? So re- realizing that there are ways, that there is a way that we can step into our power in a different way. Mm-hmm. That is not hierarchical. That is not about abuse. That is not about arrogance. That is not about having an agenda. That it doesn't require for us to push anybody down, step on them, put our knee to their neck in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. Part of that section is helping us understand that there are different kinds of power. Mm-hmm. And we don't have time to get all of that here, but the, but there are basic differences. One is worldly power or egoic power, you know, the power that comes from the ego mind, mm-hmm. in which one way that we can say, one thing we can say about that is that all based about externals, right? We tend to think of powerful people or with people who have money, who have fame, who are part of some hierarchy, whether it's a corporate ladder or a religious hierarchy or any kind of institution. But because they're outside of us, all those things are fickle. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other kind of power that we're talking about, which I call soulful power or spiritual power, it's inside every one of us. Nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. It's, it's, and it's humble. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. It just is. So I think you know, a visual that always comes to mind for me when I speak about this is, is Gandhi or Gandalf you know, from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in their simple monastic robes and their sandal feet, you would never know how much power they hold until it's necessary. Yeah. And then, watch out. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees. Yeah. Without ever shooting a gun or landing a punch. That's power. Oh, absolutely. And I think that so much today, the people have really given their power away in our society because they're listening to the to the media they're listening to others they're seeking you know external approval or external validation they get their information from others rather than really thinking for themselves and doing the inner work to really explore and intuit what is right for you as opposed to getting validation externally and i think that maybe where it starts is just doing the inner work and that's probably the first step maybe to stand in your power and to begin to to explore your own inner power and your own inner knowing i equate power to your inner knowing in a sense i mean i know it's not as simple as that yeah no but you're absolutely right the stronger our sense of self, mm-hmm. the stronger our, our core, the more powerful we are and the less dependent that we are on external validation. And we stopped needing anybody's approval. And, and we stopped needing to, to overcompensate, right? Because so much of the powerful behaviors that we see out in the world are coming from ego and they're overcompensating for not feeling good enough or for not feeling powerful enough. Perfectionism symptom of that of not really valuing who we are mm-hmm. so the stronger our sense of self all that stuff all those unhealthy 
expressions of power and all of the unhealthy and unfulfilling ways of being, they just fall away. Right. And we just get to be who we are. And we get to, to we, get, we still get to express our, our excellence and our magnificence, but just because, just because it's there and not because we're needing to prove anything to anybody. Well, I think that you've got a great message here and you're obviously living proof of what you have been through in your life and that the, the book and the work that you're doing is really a testament to how you have lived your life and the things that you have learned and the practices that you are implementing. If there was one thing that you wanted to offer as a piece of advice for someone just around awakening their own soul of power, what would that be? Read the book for, for one thing. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, because it walks people by the hand, but not only understanding the ego mind and all the ways that we sabotage ourselves, but it also begins to like deconstruct our relationship to power so that we can then rebuild it and find ways of expressing it that are a match for who we are. So the bottom line message is like there is a way that we can step into power without sacrificing our, our essential nature, without giving away our goodness, the kind of power that is congruent with who we are at the essence. Right. Our, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. Congruent with our, really our true nature, which is really all about love and kindness and compassion. And if we can live from that area within us or that the, the essence of who we are, I think that the world would certainly be a better place. I have one final question that I often ask guests. If you had a genie in a bottle, and let's just say that that's the inner genius within you, and you had just one wish, what would that be? When I think about the way of the world and, and the situation that we find ourselves in and scary times in which we live, and when I think about the hole that we have collectively dug ourselves into and all the incredible challenges that we're facing, the only way that I see to, co to come out of that is paraphrasing Einstein, that you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which it was created. Mm. And so to me, that means a revolution in consciousness, a leap in consciousness, a spiritual revolution. Each one of us, it, it all starts right here, right? That's the only way this is going to happen each one of us getting to know who we really are and stepping into our own power. And then enough of us do that and the world changes. I love that because I know that that's your mission is to really help initiate a revolution in, in consciousness so that we can elevate humanity's consciousness overall. So I think that is a great wish. I'm looking forward to seeing your book successful and uh, the next, I know you have a couple of other books in the works in that series. I just want to say to our listeners that book itself, it truly is very, very powerful. So I would encourage anyone to get a copy of Awakening the Soul of Power. Thank you so much for saying that, Carol. Thank you for having me on the show. To me, you are doing that same work, right? You are part of supporting that spiritual awakening, that spiritual revolution. So thank you so much for doing everything that you do on all our behalf. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'd like for you to share where people can learn more about you. And I know that you have a 
free meditation and a free chapter of the book and some practices as well that people can link up to off of your website. So your website is soulfulpower.com. Soulfulpower.com. And then we'll put a link to the free stuff, the gifts that uh, you're offering people in the show notes so that they can get the free meditation, the practices, and then a chapter of the book. And that will give them a nice little glimpse as to what's in the book. Is there anything else that you would like to share as we wrap up here and part ways? Thank you again. And for the listeners, it's all hands on deck. So if you've had the, the slightest suspicion or inkling that you have work to do as a teacher or a healer or as an activist for change to support this spiritual revolution, this is it. This is the time that we've been waiting for. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being on the show, Christian. All the best to you. And I just want to say to all of our listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen in again. This has been a great episode. and. Just want to encourage you to go to our website, heartsriseup.com. We have guided meditations. We have a course that we launched back in the fall called the Heart Resonance Primer. You can check that out under the shop page. We also have a community on Mighty Networks called the Hearts Rise Up Community, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And that is a free community, and we have all sorts of things that we provide to our members in the community. And so we'd love for you to check that out. So we'll put a link to the landing page. And we just want to thank you again for being a valued listener. Be sure to carry our message going forward to others and see if they will subscribe to our channel. And thank you again for being a valued listener. Bye for now. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive.